Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is brought to you by the employee-owned company Golden Artist Colors. Golden is a company committed to making the best materials for working artists and is dedicated to working with artists to inform them on how their paints work. Golden often does workshops at schools showing students all the capabilities of their materials. They're located in upstate New York, and you can find them in art stores or online at goldenpaints.com. Kelsey Schwetz is a Canadian-born painter who lives and works in Ridgewood, Queens. She completed the Advanced Painting Intensive at Columbia University and has been a guest lecturer at UCLA, Pratt, and LaGuardia Community College. Kelsey has exhibited in New York, Germany, Miami, Toronto, and Montreal and was awarded fellowships at the Vermont Studio Center and Cannes Surratt Residency in Barcelona. Publications featuring her work include Make Magazine, Art Maze Magazine, White Hot, and The Globe and Mail. Her most recent solo exhibition was in the spring of 2018 at Brethren Gallery in New York, and she stopped by to talk about her start in Canada, moving to the United States, building community, literary influence, future color, and much more. Here's our conversation. Okay. I just have to do it because of the, the whole thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, so have you done a will? Like no. a living will? No, I've, um, I don't know if this uh, will carry, but I've done a lot of verbal wills. I think I've tried to. Does that to, hold weight? I don't know. I'm, must, you have to have I'm it on tape, on I'm it. sure, right? Oh, probably. I think for it to be I guess illegal. I'm sort of counting on like my friends and family to uh, like honor what I've been telling them verbally. But I don't think that like in the case of like real things, I yeah. don't think it holds up. Okay. Like, I think you really have to get it. I say this, like I haven't done it yet, but I really need to do it. Right. Because I have a kid too. So it's very, it's just such this not. like psychological step though, to, to do that. It is. And that's why I never did it. But yeah. then you like, I think once I had a kid, I realized, well, that makes sense. Yeah. You, you do stuff that you never would have done. Right. That's true. Because it's responsible. It just seems like so much, you know, like planning for your own death, which is obviously this inevitable thing, but it's like, um, so there's this, there's this like body sleeping bag you can buy if you want your body to decompose, um, thoroughly mm-hmm. and it's filled with mushroom spores and the mushrooms they need like years to get accustomed to like your specific body chemistry. So they're able to break you down. So every night you have to sleep in this bag, the sleeping bag. Oh, with these that's spores. So it's like, you're literally training these organisms to be able to like decompose your matter. So like that is an, ex- I guess that's like the extreme case of planning yeah, for your death. That's a different level. Yeah. Wills, I suppose are ever, you know, sort of, it's just very <laughs> clinical. Right. Like yeah. I want this person to have my books. Yes. Right. Not like, I'm going to acclimate to this thing that's good. I'm going to hang out with these earthworms. It'll eventually dig into me. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's no way for it to not be dark. That's But true. I guess maybe if you do embrace it, because like I've heard in a lot of other cultures, they're much more open about mm-hmm. death. Whereas like, I think here we're, we're more, yeah. we repress it. Like that's if true. anything, if any sort of 
thing like that happens where someone passes, like immediately they cover it or it's like, oh, this didn't happen. Or, you yeah, know, the- I can kind of like deeply get behind really repressive cultures, ideas about death. Like I'm I'm really like the sort of like Victorian um, attitudes towards death. And it was like it was so prevalent. It was everywhere. Yeah. But it was really romantic. Like right. memento mores, like locks of hair, wreaths made of hair. Well, I guess if it's if if you feel like it's coming more fast and furious and right. you see people rounding you dropping like flies early on, then sure. Then you just come to terms with it. And I think a lot of people I think what helped them romanticize it was that a lot of people died when they were still really lovely, young, oh, right. beautiful. Yeah, not the, not the the aging decay. Yeah, <laughs> right. They were just these like lovely beings in the prime of their lives. Yeah. That's true. I guess it's totally changed. I wonder where the transition, like where the line is between that kind of like older sensibility of like we could go at any minute Mm -hmm. and there's something beautiful and romantic about, well, it's my time. Right. To when we turn into this like artificial intelligence, augmented reality, like it'll never be. You know what I mean? Like we're just readying ourselves for information Inevitability. Yeah, like, like uploading our Oh, right. Mind like living forever in that sense. Yeah. It feels like it's getting closer to that than it is to the I don't know. know, to me I feels it feels like that's just such a parallel with the idea of um like everlasting life and spirituality. Like yeah. people kind of always thought I think that they were going to some part of them, the important part was going to exist forever. Right. And now maybe it's uh like actually going to happen. Yeah. But I think people well, like the know. rapture or right. the millions now living will never die. Like the Jehovah's Witness. Yes. That, like people just. Oh, is float. that there? Is that yeah, the whole yeah. thing now? Okay. Like yeah. they, those people who mm. believe will just you know, be uploaded to heaven. Right. Yeah. Everyone else will, I don't know. Too bad for, too bad for them, right? Hang out in the big punk rock show <laughs> underground. Yeah. 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 <laughs> where it's really hot and sweaty. Right. 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 <laughs> cool and breezy up there. Yeah. Hot and sweaty down there. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, let's talk about you. Where did you, where did you grow up? In Canada, I believe. I grew up in Canada. Or you were born there, right? I was, yeah, I was born in Winnipeg, Prairie City, very central Canada. Um, and then I moved a bit before landing in New York. I moved to Costa Rica for a bit, then back, then to Montreal, and then from Montreal to New York. How did your parents end up in Montreal? So my parents are in Winnipeg still, where I was born. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were born there. Yeah? Yep. Born and raised? Mm-hmm. How was your Canadian upbringing? I think it was, it was chill. It yeah. was um, lots of time outside, lots of books. Lots were you of, in the city or were you yeah, outside? Well, yeah, we were in the city. We were in a suburb. Yeah. So it was a lot of, um, we had this big, big expansive field um, now it's houses now it's been developed but behind our house and you could see the sunset and there was deer and lots of tall grass and we had a park in front of our house um so you had some nature and some urban which is a nice yeah. mix right yeah mm-hmm. not like whenever i hear winnipeg i immediately picture snowy landscapes with like i mean a, that of course that a was frozen like, pond and yeah ice yeah, yeah it's so what <laughs> i'm describing is the like two months of oh, the right. 12 <laughs> yeah yeah um, the rest I've like blocked from my. <laughs> well, that gets repetitive. Those other ten months. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, lots of snowscapes, lots of ice skating. I broke my collarbone tobogganing. Oh, that's the only time I as broke a my bone. Mm. Mm, no, as like an adult, like a young adult, like in my maybe like late teens. It just happened. Yeah, that's extreme. So did you? But did you do a lot of sporty things outdoors? No, 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 no. Maybe like ice skating, sliding yeah. downhills. That was probably the 
um, extent to my sports. Were you always my a, sporting. a drawer or a creative person? Yeah, I was kid. always coloring. I was making things. Um, some of my earliest memories are like laying on the floor coloring, which is what I still do now. And um, I remember having like a little pottery wheel and uh, yeah, were, making things. Were your parents creative? Is that where no, they came from? No, not at all. Um, they, yeah, they're not. They're not really creative people, but I guess they sort of just, uh, they sensed that I was and they kind of supported that. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. So you did some pottery too? Yeah. Work with ceramics? I w- I, that's something I'd love to do now. Yeah. And I have some like really great ceramicist friends um, and I admire them so much because they're making something in, in the round, like, you know, like 3D. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe that's a future skill I learn. It's such a, it's a really fun, I mean, have you done it? Have you thrown and stuff like that? I don't even know. Is that when it's on, like on, on the wheel? wheel? Yeah. yeah. Like as a child, but never right. as an adult. It's really fun, but it's so hard. Right. I just had a hard time with it. Yes. But the school that I went to for undergrad had a, where I teach now had a great mm. ceramics program. Okay, so it was always right. around, but I was just really terrible at it. Right. So I've learned to become an aficionado of buying it. And, okay. t- and having really nice stuff mm-hmm, around mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. not really doing it because I wasn't that good at it. Right. But, you know, right. it's nice to be around it all the time. Of course, yeah. So when you were growing up drawing, and um, did you have like a, a good art program in school or a good art teacher that kind of Yeah, I mean, in, I think in high school it was the first time that I, um, I met the, uh, the person that would sort of like encourage me enough to make this feel like a thing that I could pursue. Yeah. Um, Lauren Reichardt was his name. He was the arts uh, teacher for like all of the grades. So I had him sort of nine to 12. And um, I remember this one project he gave us and we had to, it was like to make a vessel. We had to make a vessel, like a pottery vessel of clay. And it had to be of certain dimensions and specifications specifications like mine had to be triangular in all of its parts and all of its like geometry and it had to hold water and pour water and everything had to be functional and then we had once it was fired we had to paint on top of it um so it was like you know like a six month process making it was the only thing we did all year and then he made us line up in front of the window we were on like the fifth floor and drop our our pots up the window Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was. To I mean, teach people you about, cried. People resisted. I was going to say to yeah. teach you about loss. <laughs> and then we had to like collect the shards and like make something out of the, you know, it was oh, just like I this see. like. Yeah. Repurposing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was this like really great lesson about sort of like not being precious. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Wait, that was ninth grade? Uh, or were you this older? This project probably was like the, la- yeah, the last year, like yeah, probably 12th grade. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good uh, idea. I wonder if he came up with that or someone taught him that. I don't know. I was wondering about, about really good assignments. That sure, like, sure. I think we've all encountered a few Yeah, right. And assignments. then we use them and we teach. I wonder yeah. maybe there's just like seven really good <laughs> assignments that just, just keep getting yeah, passed around. Get yeah. mutated over. Yeah. Like that thing where people whisper 12 things down by the end of it. It's like pretty different than Telephone. when it started. But it's the same idea. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. Yeah. But that's one I haven't heard of before, like destroying something. It's a good you, one. Yeah, it really is. I'm sure it's traumatic, though, for a lot of people. Yeah, because I think the first part of it, you're so wrapped up in the technical, like because there's these specifications, it's, this thing has to be functional, a functional object. So you're really um, committed to this 
lasting because what's the point of making it's functional gonna object? Yeah, right. It has to work and it has to last. And then that kind of like script is just like damaged when you have to smash it. I'm sure people made some pretty liberated pieces from the shards. Yeah, I, I guess imagine. so. <laughs> yeah, right. This is, and in other words, that assignment could be like how to come to terms with becoming an abstract artist. Mm. Like giving up the necessity to, to right. just, you know, for everything to be quote unquote correct. Or right. Logical. Yeah. Which in a high school art class, I don't know about you, but like, you know, for ours, it was always like the dude who could draw the covers exactly like, you know, they look like yeah, yeah, the, totally. the hard rock cover or something. <laughs> that was the art star of the school. Right. And, yeah. And everyone else was like, Oh, I can't really do that. Mm-hmm. And then something like that would totally flip the script. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that made that assignment made you want to be. I honest. remember. Well, I just that was the you know I don't think there was one I could point to, but that was something that had sort of stuck in my head. I mean, I think what I was supposed to learn from it, like maybe abstraction and not being precious. Like I just obviously totally haven't learned either of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was sort of like being so engaged in this class. Yeah. Um, even though that wasn't the field I ended up going into at first, it was sort of a, a really important time yeah mm-hmm. well were you doing were you enjoying like science and math and stuff like that it was yeah I was thinking I would do something um psychiatry related mm-hmm. so I was doing the the maths and the sciences and I ended up going into psychology in school in yeah in university and then you, mm-hmm. you transferred out of that yeah I did my undergrad degree in um in psychology oh you got and the then, degree yeah yeah and then uh sort of in Montreal realized um that all of my friends were in the arts and every everything I was thinking about all of my spare time it was pointed towards painting and I had painted obviously like all of throughout undergrad just as electives yeah elective courses and should have just paid more attention but sometimes it's really hard to feel like um that would be like a viable choice and especially if you're like living in a place where a lot of people don't consider that a viable choice and you don't have the like support to do it. So it's not like your mom or dad was a painter. Right. Right. Sure. I didn't see an example of it. That makes it hard. I I would think too, that that assignment was useful in a way, maybe latently in the mind that, you know, there was this idea that, you know, you're just making whatever it is, you're making a vessel, you're making an art piece, but it has to function. But then when it breaks, you feel like, Oh, that really meant something to me, mm-hmm. like in a deeper way than just, you know, I'm just making a drawing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot on the line when you invest time in something creative, which yeah, is, sure. you know, now we feel that all the time, I think, in our day to day life. It's like, how many hours do we get to have to do what we really want to do in the studio, or right. what we really want to make? And it becomes really valuable. Yeah, the hours here. I was just at a residency and it was um, it was so weird thinking about parsing my studio day because it was so long yeah, like, like I, what do I do? in the, my morning studio my afternoon studio and my evening studio oh it sounds so good residencies yeah it was wild it was yeah. really wild I, I imagine you were productive I was productive yeah, yeah. was that the Vermont yeah it was studios? the Vermont yeah, yeah. Was how is it was it, great? it was amazing yeah it was really great how um, is that set up like how it's, How it's many quite, people, is yeah, it a rolling deadline or is it a once? I think there's deadlines for the fellowships, yeah. but then I think the rest you can apply. It's kind of like rolling. Um, 
and it's I think it was around 60 people total. That's a good amount. I think 20 of those were writers-ish, and the rest were visual artists. Yeah. So that was like a nice, um, it was kind of a nice split to be able to connect with writers there. And Were the studios separated as far as writers and artists? Yeah, the writers had just one building, and then we had sort of a few that were scattered all around town, campus yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it would be a really great mm-hmm. thing. Good cross pollination. I never did. I only did Skowhegan out of school just because mm. everyone was like, you, sh- you know. Yeah. In those days, no internet really, and it was like, this is what you should do. Right. But now it seems like there's so many opportunities for residencies. There's yeah. a lot of great ones that people really, you know, seem to enjoy, and then they get so much work done. Oh, totally. And even just, um, I felt the space to make just a lot of um, low stakes paintings, which was something that I feel here I don't do because you're really conscious of, as we were saying, like studio time. And it was nice to just feel like, oh, in the morning I can just make these low stake small paintings, like one pass paintings. Um, See what happens. Yeah. And then have also like the space to sit with them. Yeah. For a long time. Are you saying there's not tons of space in New York City? (laughs) suggesting it yeah suggesting yeah, it. it really is hard mm. i i did do one residency the long the islip art residency mm. which is in long island okay and they gave me it the studio was gigantic yeah it was huge and it had like a side studio space that was basically like a video room where it was blacked out and you could project mm. which i do animations too so it was mm-hmm. great because i could like screen things and see how it looked right the studio was so big, I didn't know what to do with the space, so I yeah. worked in a corner. Oh, that's what I, yeah, I was totally doing that the first maybe like four or five days. All of my stuff was just, yeah, in this sort of one corner, like almost like a facsimile of my space, yeah. the dimensions of like my space right. here. And then it was like, no, 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 hold on, like spread your paintings out, hang stuff on the wall, like make use of this. Yeah, it's a space. weird feeling though. It is a weird feeling. I didn't know what to do. I had a setup just for like write, like writing, just a desk against the wall, and, a, yeah. and then I moved a chair by a window. So it was like, <laughs> sure. Just, it's like, <laughs> and that was how long? A month. A month. Yeah, for all of April. Mm-hmm. Then you had to come back, and you acclimated back. I went up to Montreal for a few days to visit friends, actually, mm-hmm. and just as sort of like a decompression tank, nice. a little bit of in between time. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. That's great. Mm. So how, like, you made a bunch of work while you were there? Yep. Yeah, I was kind of focusing, I was making, like, three sort of main pieces for an upcoming show, and the rest I thought I would just do whatever came, whatever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's rewind. So you graduated, you got your degree, Mm -hmm. and then you, was it kind of this decision where I think, you know, I've been doing painting the whole time, but I think I want to do that Well, I moved to Montreal for a grad program and then I realized that wasn't right and then I ended up yeah then I ended up moving to New York for another grad program that I felt wasn't right and then I thought I would just have a studio here and you know because it was very new sort of this idea of like making a practice and what does a daily practice look like yeah so and I thought it would be um I just thought it would be good to sort of Set up shop. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And it was a big change moving from Canada to New York. I would imagine. Me. Yeah. I mean, did you, when you moved, you got accepted into a program. Yeah. And you were pretty much moving to just go to school. Yeah, and yeah, then, for sure. Then you just were like, nah, I don't, Yeah. this isn't for me. Yes. Yeah. Drop out. 
and then find a studio. Defer, I think that's Sorry. the word we're so, using here. And dropout sounds so much cooler. <laughs> Does it? Okay. No, I dropped out of dropped that grad out. program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, but uh, yeah. So you deferred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Permanently. <laughs> yeah. Well, Permanently it's still out deferred. there. Sure, I mean, You sure, can go sure. tomorrow if you want to. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, so that must have been tough, though, to set up the studio yeah, I mean, it was. you just have to get like the day job and then find a space. And yeah, and then I eventually got an artist visa, yeah. an O one visa. Um, oh yeah, you have that too mm-hmm. to deal with. Yeah, that was a huge. It was like a full time job in the immigration stuff. Yeah. Well, good thing it's gotten so much better. Oh yeah, it's super super <laughs> easy and yeah. We won't talk about that. <laughs> so, but did you have like some friends or some community people? Or did I feel you feel like that I had all alone feeling? One again? friend. Yeah. And he helped me a lot. And then, you know, you just sort of slowly start making new friends and connections. And it's, you know, kind of, I curated a show actually, like at 56 Bogart. Yeah. The gallery's not there anymore. But I think that was, um, that was like the, a major turning point in just like meeting friends that I, because everyone that I ended up curating into the show, I kind of like liked their work a lot and we connected. And I'm still friends with some of those people. How did you yeah. get the opportunity to curate it? I was interning at this gallery. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then... See, it, that's good because for yeah. students who listen to this, who a lot of my students ask me like, okay, I have Why an internship. Why should we do unpaid labor? Or I'm going, yeah. to, I'm going to the city. What? How do I do that? Oh, yeah. I was interning at... It was a Galapagos Art Space was one oh, in Denver. Yeah. And then it was... Um, I'm blanking on the name of the one in... Um, of the one in 56 Bogart, it's changed It's changed names. You mean the Galapagos owned space? No, the gal- there was another. Gal- I was entering at two. The oh, other I one see. in 56 Bogart. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I guess I expressed um, interest in doing like curatorial stuff and the gallerist was on board and yeah, curated a show called Girls. Nice. And uh, yeah, I met a lot Who of- do you remember? Oh, I don't want to put you on the spot. Do I remember who was in the show? I do. See, you. I do remember my most mem- of them. My memory is shot. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I imagine some of those people you're still connected with. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's cool. So that yeah. helped build. But you've been in, you know, looking at your work and knowing a little bit about what you've done mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of your own work because you've been involved in sort of cultivating relationships with other artists and yeah so did that come did that stem out of that process of wanting to just create a community because he came down here and was like hey one person that i'm you know what i mean yeah i mean are you talking about lady painters yes that yeah so i wanted um, you to go in, into that sure yeah yeah um that stemmed from um a desire to sort of feel the same community that i felt in montreal which yeah. is like a really really tight-knit arts community and um just sort of wanting to find that and make that here Mm -hmm. and sort of outward facing community building stuff is something I'm, I've just really liked. I've always liked it. And, uh, I met my partner, Jen Deerdorf, partner in lady painters. Um, and we kind of both expressed this desire and thought we should just give it a go. Yeah. And then it's been, it'll be four years in October that we've been doing this and we've just been, um, shaping it and reevaluating every, you know, every few months, trying to make it as best as it can be. How did it start? Basically, was it? I visited her. I think at she was at like Air at the time, and um, I just sort of expressed that I wanted to do this thing, and maybe not sure what it looked like, but wanted to do it, and knew that I wanted it to be sort of around like a meal, mm-hmm. um, and then we just 
thought we should try. And the first one was at her loft mm-hmm. and she like made this, all of this food and just like was, was so great. And it really, it was great. And then we decided to keep doing it. Yeah. That's a, it's so funny. I, I've done a couple of them. I haven't done it in a while, but I mm. want to keep doing them. And I was talking to some people about doing another iteration, but of just like get togethers. Yeah. Yeah. At, you for know, sure. with like 10 to 12 artist friends at a restaurant, we just go out and eat. And then mm-hmm. I was reaching out to some people recently and, and someone said, well, maybe we should just do a potluck. Right. <laughs> and it's like, it sounds so nice, but I was like, I just, I, I don't want to clean up or cook or do anything. Yeah. Of potlucks work. are really hard in <laughs> New York. When I was living in LA for a bit, um, I had the lady painters um, gatherings up there and mm-hmm. we did potlucks because everyone drives. Yeah. So you can just put this like dish beside you. Right. But no one's carrying around like hot dishes. Right. I'm going to bring this lasagna in an Uber. <laughs> all day. <laughs> right. Like all day with when I leave the house, at, you know, 730 in the morning. <laughs> we'll just microwave just it right before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a different kind of mm-hmm. set of operations. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but it is so nice to like sit around food and like it is. talk. Yeah, I think and there's a romantic mm-hmm. aged idea of like artists getting together for dinners, but it's really yeah a great thing yeah. because it's like conversation that doesn't have to go in any specific direction. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you know, I don't know. It's just a different vibe, I guess. We found we got to know people in a, in sort of like this deeper way, and that informs how you read their work too. Yeah. You just kind of cultivate a deeper understanding about them and their work. Right. Well, that's great. So wait, so you were in LA too. Mm-hmm. So when did that happen? Take me through the timeline here. So you moved to New York. Yep. You deferred school. Yeah. You got the art thing started. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you started the girl painter. Like when, how, what's the timeline there? And were you, you did that, you started it before you moved to LA? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my husband and I just went to LA as like a trial thing. Mm-hmm. We were thinking maybe we would move there. And we went uh, not last winter, but the winter before. What, um, besides, well, I can imagine, what sort of tempted you to maybe think about wanting to go to I LA? I don't know. He went to, to grad school there and he really likes it. Yeah. Um, I thought just like, why not? I'll try something different. Is he an artist too? He writes about film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So he spent a couple, is he from the West Coast? No, he's not. Okay. No, but he went, to, yeah, he went to grad school there. And um, yeah, I just thought I would try it and see like if another, I'd never really spent a huge amount of time in any other American city except um, New York. Mm-hmm. And then I did this residency in New Mexico, which is really weird. So How I was long was that? A month. So that's not, that's not a huge amount of time, but it, you know, it's like a little snip. It's enough to say it's hot. It's hot and it's weird. Arid. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I like Arizona. I don't think I've been to Arizona. But only to just go there for a little. Like I I couldn't do. Mm, mm -hmm. I can't change. I'm from Pittsburgh, so I need a certain amount of gray in my life. Mm, Yeah. 110 degree sun. I can't. I mean, it's a novelty. Right. Being in a swimming pool at 730 in the morning is cool. Maybe a couple times. But then after that, I can't. Right handle it Mm -hmm. so how was LA while you were there um we we didn't we weren't driving we didn't have a car and I don't drive awkward (laughs) so I was biking everywhere like a fool oh man and that was really my studio was like an hour and over an hour and change bike ride one way 
Which was fine. Well, it's good exercise. Yeah, yeah. But I just also just ended up drinking so much wine because I was so bored in the night that I don't, any bodily, like, <laughs> any bodily pluses from all that exercise was, were just neutralized. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't, I, I missed feeling, I missed walking, you know, I missed walking down the street and feeling really like a part of whatever community I was in. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the, social interfacing in LA happens in spaces and like to be fair everyone there is really interested in making those spaces and like the community is really connected and it's obviously beautiful weather and the um all of the reference material was there for me you know it was just outside I didn't have to travel to like museums or conservatories or botanical gardens it was like just there yeah so that was really that was really cool and that kind of changed my practice a bit and I had a big studio. That's another mm-hmm. plus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I guess it's, you know, it's pluses and minuses to each thing. I, th- I do think if you're, you know, if you grew up in a situation that's more similar mm-hmm. to like if you drove around a lot when you were a kid or, you know what I mean? Then that's right. easier to do. For me, when I visited, you know, when I've visited L.A. and it's only been here and there, mm-hmm. it's just, again, I know it sounds so New York, but it's it's hard to drive everywhere. And I like driving, you know what I mean? But I remember I had a yeah. show there in the 2000s, like early 2000s. I was staying in Santa Monica and the gallery wasn't close enough to walk to it. But I remember wanting to just walk outside the hotel and walk around right, yeah. to things. And yeah, I yeah. felt really weird because no one else was walking and there were a lot of places where there weren't sidewalks. Yeah. So it felt kind of felt like kind of strange. Yeah, it's like disorienting. You like feel it. like you're kind of like alone in this sci fi landscape. Yeah. I but, mean being there totally informed my work and it really was helpful for that reason. Right. And I'm so excited to visit there. I made a lot of good, great friends there. Um, but I feel like this is my home. New York. Yeah. Well, you can always visit and take pictures and stuff yep. when you're there. Right? Totally. Is that how you would do it now? As far as like inspiration, do you take a lot of, is it all from imagination? Do you take photographs? I take a or? ton of reference photos. Um, and then make drawings from those or, um, create like sort of new spaces on the canvas from the reference photo, from a sort of reference or Mm -hmm. reference place. What was the work like when you first started in the city getting your paintings? Oh, it was figurative. It was completely figurative. It was like a lot of like, um, the, the body as like a site of something happening or like, um, sexuality or gender or thinking about, um, processes that happen in, in the body and it was very much like the figure and then the sort of like su- everything else was a supporting role. Mm-hmm. So it's it's changed a lot. Yeah. yeah. Did that happen slowly over time or? It happened after I had this show. Um, it was my first solo show in, in New York and at the artist talk, a friend who I'm actually renting a studio space from now, she... Um, she said I had this I made this painting of it was like my maternal grandparents and my mom and my aunt and it was it was like from an old family photo from the 60s -hmm. and there was just these like plants everywhere potted plants because that's just how people decorate their home and um she said something like the plants seem to be figures even more than these figures are and then I kind of started like thinking about that and that's kind of I think that made it change it's like the grown environment for a stand-in for people yeah right and then thinking about like avatars yeah like um yeah what can signify a presence if not a body 
Definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, in, in my work, I'm always, I'm really interested in what like our environment says about us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not that things need to be necessarily figurative to be talking about our society or who we are as a people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes like, like your room says more about you than right. if someone just meets you for five minutes. Like what are these spaces when they're emptied out of your presence right. or emptied out of your body? Yeah. Like how they tell you about what that person's body is like or what this person is like. Yeah. Yeah. Like the charge that mm-hmm. spaces have sometimes. Definitely. And I can, it, it can talk about, a, a person or it can talk mm-hmm. about a culture a right whole group sure of, you know people yeah which mm-hmm. is interesting yeah so well when you are you know made that transition was it literally someone said something like that and then you thought oh i'm just gonna empty out the figure um i think i was using slow? it was slow and i still use the figure sometimes i do use the figure still yeah but um, it's not just it sounded like the earlier stuff was like yeah it was just the it was like a figurative painting yeah um i think i was i think i then made sort of works where it was parts maybe parts of the body or um the intersection of like plant matter and and figuration and then i started i kind of like made the lens move back a bit and started thinking about like larger environments or like then sort of creating an environment instead of just describing one that holds something else. Right. So creating this um, new space that potentially energy could like grow in and like, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. Now as someone who's obviously in dialogue with a lot of artists and you've Mm. cultivated this community, I mean, are you affected by your peers a lot or are there a lot of influence coming in or you try to, Kind of keep things more. Yeah, I mean, insular. of course. Yeah, I think there's there's tons of dialogue and there's a lot of like, especially like visual influence and um, even just sort of. I think I've been really influenced by like really specific times mm-hmm. of um, where you're thinking a lot about your practice. Like I did like a post back at Columbia in the summer, and that was just like an intensive looking in at your work. Yeah, and um, so that was like a, a huge like time of influence I think right um and I think every year or so I'd like to have sort of that at least like a month of just where you can kind of like reevaluate your practice are you always applying for residencies for the yeah like I have a spreadsheet yeah yeah (laughs) finally I finally learned how to use excel for this reason It's effective. Yeah, it is. And now there's so many resources. For I sure. Mean, also, yeah. friends telling you that's a great way. Yeah. So you see people posting pictures of an amazing studio oh, somewhere totally. in yes. you know New Hampshire or Florida or wherever it is or or Spain or something. You mm-hmm. know, there's all these opportunities now that I think it's a little easier to find those things than it probably mm-hmm. used to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a great way. I, I would imagine to kind of like recalibrate. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because yeah. when you, you know, when you're in your studio working all the time and everything's the way it is, it can yeah. get a little, not redundant, but kind of like, you know, repetitive in yeah, the process. Yeah, yeah, I found teaching did that for me. Once I started teaching, mm, it really mm-hmm. kind of like dusted off some cobwebs. Yeah, right. You know? Totally. It went from like Dr. Seuss books to, you know, reading back about theory and stuff like that, yeah. which sometimes in your day to day, you just don't have time to... Right. To really dig into that, you need that residency or is that, you know, some sort of gig where you're working outside of your normal right. yeah, mode or of just, operations. Um, I think, you know, I just really like feeling confused in the studio or yeah. like that I'm up against something or solving something. And um, I think those times 
of like recalibration do that. Mm -hmm. So as far as inspiration, I mean, we talked about, you know, art, fellow artists and stuff, but what about like music or film or literature? Like what are the other things? Yeah, I would say like literature has been just like the sort of greatest. Yeah. Like I think I start most paintings with, um, like a, a line Mm -hmm. of writing as just as like a, a generative space to work from. Now, um, it, was that something you were always, were you always a book reader? Like yeah, as a kid? Yeah, and yeah. So? I think I'm, yeah. Um, those two are kind of, to, like, they exist together in my mind. And I mean, I, I think I created, like, a whole body of work, like, from, like, a Juna Barnes passage, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe the, maybe the work doesn't, it's not obviously related to the viewer, but for me, it's just, like, a nice point of generation. Yeah. Starting point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had the opportunity to do a cover for a book? No, not yet. That would be great, right? Yeah. It's coming. That would be a We're dream. putting it out there now. That would be a dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but wouldn't that be it would be cool to see the other side of it, right? Mm-hmm. To like I, I felt like I've done like a few record covers. Oh for really? Musicians. Okay. Yeah. And for me that's I yeah. think one of the funnest things to do. Well, I love um Paul Lur. Like mm-hmm. he was like a sci-fi illustrator. Yeah. Um, and he did a lot of book covers. I thought that was really cool. It's like a nice marriage, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause a lot of times people will, you know, it's, I, f- I feel like when you're writing a book, you have a pretty good idea generally of the narrative and there's like a look to it in mm-hmm, a way. Mm-hmm. So when I would imagine when an author is looking to an artist, there's, they're looking for a specific artist. They feel like that work kind of, vibes with what they're trying to get across yes which is really nice because a lot of times you'll be asked to do things or create things for people or for for different reasons but and then you have them in mind but it would be a great kind of like honor if someone just came to you and said like i really think your work would be great for my cover yeah but i would imagine that makes it a little less a little more specific than maybe music or maybe not i don't know I guess I guess the same thing happens with music too. Apparently, um, you can't always choose like your book; like it gets suggested to oh, you. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the the, the publishing company has yeah, a yeah. So. big say in the matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes it harder too. Right. Whereas nowadays, with like, I mean, when I did a couple record covers, it was back when there were records, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or CDs. But yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just so less common now. Right. You know. I mean, Spotify has like a little square thing. Yeah. That's about it. But there used to be like the fold outs and all that, mm-hmm, which is really mm-hmm. nice. Did you grow up listening to a lot of music? Yeah, I think so. I, um, what I was don't, it? What I was, was playing in the house? Oh, nothing. So I think the radio was playing. Yeah. That was the extent of it. Yeah. What did your parents do? So, um, my mom was, she was working in a bank and she's a legal assistant now. My dad is retired now and he was a welder. And so it was really, oh, they he was hands on though. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's creative. Yeah. I'm really interested. Like I really appreciate the like, like tactile things. And yeah. I, I want, I want to be that person who can build a shelf and I'm not, and I want to get there. Um, you have it in you genetically. Yeah. Yeah. It's somewhere See, I'd imagine, realized. and this is very stereotypical, but uh-huh. I imagine your mother listening to like Chopin. Mm. And I imagine your dad listening to like ACDC. That's <laughs> <laughs> the welder. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. But I don't know. What was the I music? You know, I don't know. I feel like I had really kind of music came to me as like, um, like a, it was through the lens of pop culture and through 
my friends because like we like we weren't like allowed to watch like much music and mm-hmm. or what's the MTV, MTV the American yeah. one and like we didn't have like video we weren't allowed to have like video games and stuff so it was oh, very you much were sheltered like, from that yeah yes. were you watching like comedy and stuff I don't I feel know like what in I was Canada, watching. TV. Like comedy is such a huge. Right. I mean, I just think kids at the hall. You know, like great yeah, comedy yeah, yeah. comes from Canada. No, I don't no? know. I don't. I don't think I was watching a lot of theater. Were you going to like plays and stuff? Mm, we would go to the ballet. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm sure. I, yeah, I just watched just like movies. You know, right. like movies on like rent movies and stuff. Yeah, but you didn't have the high school kind of music because I feel like a lot of times when we get around ninth grade, ninth to 12th grade, like music becomes this really big signifier for like what you believe or like what your interests are. And you know what I mean? Especially for a lot of creative people. Right. You know, whether it's punk or like rap or something. Yeah. It's like, this is what I identify with. But it didn't have that. That felt absent in our high school. Maybe I just, yeah, I don't think that was, those were the lines of like demarcation. Yeah. Or there certainly weren't a lot of like bands that I remember. I'm sure there was a few like high school bands. Right. What was the music scene like? Uh, so there is a music scene in Winnipeg. Um, I guess it would be like indie, indie music scene. That's cool. Yeah, it was, yeah. There's like a little uh, film scene and a little art scene and. (laughs) What's the kind of thing where you couldn't wait to get out? You felt like I want to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I really did feel that way. I felt like I really became the person that I am in Montreal. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. So, so when you get here and you're making work, and you know, you came back from LA, you just kind of like hit your groove. Yeah, yeah. Before LA, I would say yeah, like just maybe a few years living here. Um, I think finding a community, you know, is so important, and people who will support like support you and who you can have lots of conversations with about your work or about just other things you're thinking about and um, feeling like a a way, figuring out a way to have a steady studio practice has been the most important thing. Yeah. And have you kept in touch with the the curatorial endeavors? Yeah. um, Actually, is it something you, you yeah, my husband and I have made, we have like a curatorial project called Nancy Dom. Mm hmm. And we've had two shows in um, our old space when we lived in Bushwick so have far. You, have you moved that over to Ridgewood? No. Not yet. No, our apartment, Won't it's fit. a different kind of jam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was the Bushwick place a little more open and bigger? It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like a loft space. So and you were saying like you, the nice thing about Ridgewood is it's a little more homey. Yeah, that's it. So we're in a railway apartment, railroad apartment now. Yeah. There's something nice about that. Though. Like when I've done, nice. you know, either studio visits or I've done some podcasts from people who have studios in there, mm. you know, in kind of like a railroad where they have like a basement or, you know, like a room dedicated to a studio. I, I love that feeling yeah. of like, you know, not the big open loft necessarily, but like something that feels more tied to yeah yeah like your day-to-day existence in a way not right. like the rundown old factory with the giant space in yeah it. even my studio now it's um it's really s- like it's a small space there's only two other painters there so we have a backyard and it That's feels nice. really nice it feels like like a home space or something yeah I love it do you find you have more people over now than when you were in Bushwick 
to the yeah, studio? Yeah, well, when I was in Bushwick, my studio was in Greenpoint. Oh, so you were living in living Bushwick. Living in Bushwick. My studio was in Greenpoint then. And I feel like I had way less people in Greenpoint because it's really <laughs> annoying to get to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like more people here. I feel like uh, in Ridgewood, there's more of a passing by um, facet to friendships. Yeah. Like you can be on your way somewhere and you can like stop in at someone's place. Right. I feel like I have a lot of friends that live in Ridgewood now. So it's sort of like, oh, on my way home from work, like, let me stop in your studio and say hi. Right. And do you do that? Are you keeping that up often? I'm and trying does to, yeah. And in, in the, the sort of social club that you've created, I mean, <laughs> is that promoting more of studio visits or is this just kind of something where yeah, it's we more kind of, online? Yeah, we kind of think of it as like these dinners as just like um, a site of like future studio visits and exchanges between people. We have yeah. like a slideshow every time, every gathering. So people get an introduction to other people's work. And is it constantly growing or you feel like it's, well, it's, yeah, it's, it. it's you don't different want it to guests too... every month. Oh, really? It's monthly. Oh, I, th- I had the impression that it was like a group of people that were. No, it's like 10 to 12 painters every month, but it's different painters each month. That's exciting. Jen and I are the only like constants. Oh, I see. And then if you've been to a previous one, you can host a future one. Oh, and that's then, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get, you know, you're inviting people and, but yeah, we try to sort of keep it to a number that um, everyone can feel like they can talk to everyone right in the night that's such a great idea and then in the summer we have like a big barbecue and in the winter we have like a holiday party we did um, like a painting exchange the last few years nice yeah now that's a secret Santa thing I could get behind oh yeah it's amazing (laughs) yeah not like you know I don't know, toothpaste, toothbrush or something. You're like, a, you know, like to trade art. I Is mean, that do what you, you would get for Secret Santa? I don't know. I, I was trying to actually Sad. think of the last time I there was a Secret Santa thing involved in my life, but I do think I got like a electric toothbrush. Hmm. But like a cheap one, not like a Sonicare. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's sad. That's sad. <laughs> I know. Well, Secret Santas usually suck. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I gotta get someone. Something. And no one's invested because they don't know who it's for. Right. And it's like, a, it's this thing where it turns into what can I get between 15 and $35? Yeah, totally. Which is really t- robs the idea of giving out of like what you're doing. Right, right. <laughs> so nowadays in the studio. Yes. Is it music, silence, podcasts, um, NPR? Like, what do you... It's a lot of silence. And then recently I've been revisiting... I've only realized that, like, I've there, these are... What these albums have in common is that they were, like... I was playing a lot of them... We're playing them a lot during, like, kind of tumultuous times mm-hmm. in my life or emotionally charged times. So I've been just, like, revisiting, like, I'm, like... Chastity Belt or like Angel Olsen or like Alanis Morissette recently and I went in Montreal (laughs) there was this show it was like this cover show like Alanis Morissette cover show with live piano accompaniment it was all Alanis Morissette songs and it was just like I was almost in tears it was like a spiritual experience that sounds moving it was Alanis Morissette was amazing I know but you were around when for the first time around and it had a much different yeah, yeah, relationship. yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, because then she was like cast off after a little as being too emo or something. Right? Yes, right. What's Alanis doing these days? I, I don't know. I never thought she would be the kind of musician who would kind of fade away or, you know, yeah. not be out there. Right. But yeah, she was amazing. She Once was. in a while, we, I, we my family, we watched the, you know, The Voice or like shows. Mm, like, mm-hmm. We love those. My son's really big into music, so anything music related we watch. Right. And once in a while, Alanis Morissette song pops up, and it's like it, they hold up. 
They do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's emotional. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been what's playing. I play just like, um, often just like ambient music, like, um, stars of the lid or yeah, just yeah. like Brian, you know, like just right. things that are kind of the take up space, sound mm-hmm. space. Um, but I've also, sometimes I just start painting and I've realized it's been silent, yeah. which has been really nice. Yeah. If you can get a good quiet yeah, studio. It's so rare. Yeah, yeah, it is. I've also tried to talk on the phone to friends mm-hmm. while I've been painting, just like for the really repetitive parts, so you know, where you're just like carrying out a thing. Right. And that's, that's been good. I like, it's a nice way to like be connected to people who you, you know, you don't live in the same city with. Right. Can still maintain. I do that with podcasts sometimes when I do get when something gets too kind of like intricate. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But then I can turn the brain off. It's almost like you're yeah. tricking yourself <laughs> to getting yeah. done the busy work. Yeah, sometimes for that, I actually listen to the audio of films I've seen before. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of. You turn the movie on and just don't watch exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I tried to do that with Planet Earth, like the oh, new one, yeah, yeah. but it was just, how can you not look at it? Yeah. Yeah. Because every, you know, two minutes, like David Attenborough was saying something like, we're like dragons. Right. And you're just like, wait, you feel what the is pole, this? Your head's like moving. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't, I yeah can't so that, look. I had to stop that. I had to stop the Planet Earth, but um, film without visual is another thing I listen to a lot in the studio. I think that's why, cause I used to never listen to podcasts or the radio. It was right. only music, but I think nowadays that's why I've been doing some podcasts while I'm working mm-hmm. and it works just because there's no draw to try to look at it. Right. Yeah. So I can yeah. lose myself, in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it all depends. Like I was working on that one earlier and it's really kind of geometric and you know, and that's when I'll turn on like a podcast. Right. But like when I'm doing something big and more ethereal, I want that music. Yeah. You know, I, in looking at your work, it's, I do this a lot. I think where I associate, um, music like sounds mm-hmm. and to certain work, mm-hmm. like, Oh, that painter looks like that band sounds like, are there musicians or music that you listen to that you feel like, Oh, that kind of has the vibe of my work. <laughs> Is that a hard question? I almost think from, yeah, that would be an impossible. What do you think? Did something pop into your head? Your work? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking of uh, like Neon Indian. Oh, yeah, okay. Do you like them? I listen to them a lot in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, th- like music like that, like uh, Immortal Orchestra. Okay, or like Caribou or something. Yeah, Gold Caribou Panda. would be, yeah. Well, Gold Panda, who I love. Uh-huh. Less so because it's less, um, it's a little more Electronic. methodic. Okay. Uh-huh. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? I it's beautiful, but it's a little more tinny and right. mechanical sounding. Right, right, right. Whereas Caribou, I, I would think. Yeah. And like earlier bands, like a, like a My Bloody Valentine, sort of like wash over you <laughs> kind of feel. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Memories? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting you say that. Um But you see what I'm saying. I see, right? Yeah, of course. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I had never thought to think about that reflexively, though. Like, it hadn't occurred to me to try to think of the sound my painting. Like, make. yeah, who do I sound like? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I do that all the time, and I think it's a problem. Like, And mm. then I had some person tell me that it might be some form of like synesthesia where you just can't remove like the sound element of how colors and images make you 
hear feel. Yeah, yeah. Do you know exactly. what I'm saying? No, like, I, yeah, I know. I can't. What you're yeah. Like if I look at an early Picasso, or not early. I don't know. Maybe when he started getting cubist or something. Yeah. I'll think of like jazz or certain like rhythmic structures. Right. Right. That. I feel like he was doing breaking down those compositions. Right. I can't not do it. Yeah. But you've never done that before? Um, that happens to me with um, like taste and things I'm reading. Mm-hmm. So I'll often, I'll have these like, I'm obsessed with routines and people's habits. Like obsessed in a way that makes me outgoing. Like yeah. I want to, like I want to ask people about their like breakfast routine or like their morning routine or um, so I usually eat like the same thing for breakfast for a while and then I'll like switch to something else. But if I'm then reading in the morning, like this certain, I still remember like the certain like Henry James reminds me so much of like toast with ghost cheese and like this, like this, like, um, blueberry jam uh-huh. <laughs> that had rosemary in it. Like I can't, I can't think of Henry James without thinking of that taste. Right. So that has to be with, I think, taste and like reading. So what do your paintings taste like? It's so hard though, right? Because there are colors and then there's organic stuff in it. Right. So maybe it takes you to a food or a taste. I feel like they they taste like gum. Oh yeah, like like uh, like fruit flavored gum, like slightly like artificial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great analogy. Like trident, that cherry gum. Have you ever had that? Where it's just like stings your sort of like glands and your. You know what I'm talking yeah, about, Yeah, there's right? an Ice Cubes one. You know those Ice Cubes gum? Uh-huh. And there's yeah, one yeah. that's like a grape flavor that mm. I don't know where they get grape from because it's not grape. It's this crazy artificial yeah. burst of something. Right. That yeah. takes over your entire mouth. Yeah. And I could see that. Can you see it? Yeah. The, and the vintage version of that in relation to your paintings would be like Fruit Stripe. Remember <sighs> that gum? Yeah. With the little giraffe with oh, the different yeah. colors. Oh, Isn't wow, it? I haven't thought of that in so Fruit long. Fruit Stripe was so great. Yes, it was. I don't know what the hell that stuff tasted like. It wasn't... And it lasted for like one second, but... Yeah, yeah, that stuff right? really don't... Where now they've engineered it, they put these little crystals in there where it just mm. keeps going. It's like the power of <laughs> food engineering and right, gum. yeah. So that's an interesting, um, you know, analogy to... Well, I don't know if it's an analogy but a relationship to the paintings. I mean, you're going for, with this palette that you have, mm-hmm. I mean, there's an artificiality in a sort of, I would imagine, like a dreamlike, yeah. you know. Yeah, like I'm really interested in this idea of artificial nature or constructed spaces. So things that are made of organic um, matter, but that are somehow, somehow artificial. Mm-hmm. And thinking about, like, I love kitsch. I hate having it around me. But the space inside my head is filled with kitsch. Yeah. And I like um, I like the idea of, like, fake fruit in any form. Whether but it's, not on your table. But not in my life. Well, maybe because the faux, the fake food or the, mm-hmm. the kitsch in our life is so specific. Yeah. But it feels like in your paintings, the relationship to that is kind of like otherworldly. Right, so yeah. So there's an escapism in that. It's yeah. not the familiar. Right. It's the imagined. And then sort of like recently I've been researching spaces that are com- to me completely abstracted, like um, uh, sort of like prehistoric, like Devonian and mm-hmm. like Carboniferous landscapes or seascapes. So millions of like, you know, 400 million years ago, like what these, what scientists have reconstructed these spaces 
to look like and looking at dioramas there's this collection of dioramas at the Carnegie Mellon Museum of these like prehistoric sea floors I'm from Pittsburgh yeah yeah oh yeah okay <laughs> yeah it's, um, it's inspiring yeah definitely because here are spaces that no one has any actual lived experience in right they've only been reconstructed through an after image like the fossils of them mm-hmm so I'm looking at that a lot recently as like jumping off points. So instead of me taking sort of photos of spaces that I've inhabited, I'm trying to make some paintings where these, where the space is like totally created and no one's ever lived in it. So it's, it's kind of like informed by certain experiences or memories mm-hmm. or spaces and I guess like you said you're even using photographs in some way to kind of like yeah as a starting point but then just trying to tweak it and get kind of wild with it yeah yeah and definitely um sort of thinking of specific bodily experiences I've had and how those could plausibly play out in these spaces if the present like the presence was indicated by a figure or if not or the sort of thinking about how these spaces get populated and what starts growing first and like what's the temperature like and who could live here and what does their life look like if they live here well there's also too kind of a digital palette to some of it yeah i'm i'm deeply interested in like the aesthetics of computer simulation and 90s video games have just especially that you're yeah you're on a in this Photo. area. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. So I imagine, oh, I guess, well, I think it's a little too organic. I was going to say there could be something kind of vapor wavy about that. Mm-hmm. The palette wise. Yeah. And then the mixing of the grid with the right. organic. Right. But it's this fake organic. In right. And then this sort of idea of mapping with video games. Like if you remember Super Mario where you, you were in a level and then you're able to like, you were able to leave it and then you would see like a visual map of like this world yeah. that you were in and like the indicators of like what you have to do to make something happen, how that gets spelled out in the first level. Like the first level is always this sort of like, um, like learning period for the player mm-hmm. and they quickly learn the mechanics of this fabricated space. Right. And I kind of am interested in seeing how like a painting can function like that. Like how could, how could someone make the mechanics of this world knowable in one picture plane of the, of the canvas. That's really interesting. Do you play a lot of video games? I used to play so much as some, like as soon as I was an adult, I got like a super Nintendo, like wasn't what I wasn't allowed to have as like a kid. Well, that's the thing, right? Whatever you weren't yeah. allowed to do, that's what so you're going to love. So much like Zelda, Super Mario, Donkey Kong, like all of those like really to me, like the sort of classic. Oh, they're uh, classics. Did you play Dig Dug? No. No, I don't. Should play that. Really? Yeah, simulate it. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But you're just digging down. Speaking of mapping, right? You're digging around underground and like trying to blow up these oh, okay. ghost monster things. Oh, interesting. The palette's really kind of yeah. fun. Yeah. And I love the idea of a game that exists mostly underground. Right. Like there's only this little strip of horizon in the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun. I'll look it up. I mean, that's was that was the goal, for me the golden age. I used to go to the boys club after school. Okay. Like I was a latchkey kid. So I would right, go to the boys right. club and they had like, you know, Donkey Kong, Dig Dug, Pinball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Super Mario, you know, the classics. And I would spend 
so many quarters on those games. <laughs> yeah. That's where I, you know, honed the craft. And they had a ping pong table, so I became an aficionado of okay. ping pong. Okay, good. It's a good <laughs> skill to have. It is. But yeah, those video games, you know, they kind of have a huge effect. And they went away. Like for me, I grew up playing a lot. I only had Atari or ColecoVision or whatever it was. Yeah, like yeah. I got it after most people got it. But, right. But I would play the stuff nonstop. And then it went away for a long time. But now that my son's really into video games, I'm seeing like the new version of it. Mm-hmm. And it's insane. Like, I, it's so impressive. Yeah. I kind of like, I'm not interested in like contemporary video game graphics. They're, they're so, um, they're like uncanny in their similarity mm-hmm. to reality. Yeah. But there are some that don't try to do that. Okay. That are really beautiful. Yeah. But. Yeah, more often than not, it's like it kind of looks real. Like a lot of those first-person shooter games that I, right. you know, it's just yeah, awful. Yeah. But there's a lot of really cool creative stuff. Have you seen the new Yoshi one? Yoshi's Craft World? Oh, no. It's amazing. It's like all made, well, it's not, but it looks like everything's paper sculptures. Oh, and wow. Yoshi runs around in this big See, paper I'm kind world. of afraid to like dive into that now because I just, I don't want that to turn into like my life again. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't do it's it. I have to not, do it vicariously. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I just see it and I was like, oh, that looks cool. But yeah. I can't go there. I was just mentioning like yesterday to someone, like I, I can't have apps or like games on my phone. Right. Because I don't need to look at that for one second longer than I'm already looking yes, at Yes, exactly. And yeah. if there's games on there, it just means more staring at that screen. Yeah. I can't do it. I've really fantasized about getting a flip phone, but I realized like I would be completely useless without Google Maps. In New York. I thought about that recently too. It's like, that what is, did we do It's the before? one thing. When I first moved here, I didn't have a smartphone and I was kind of like resisting getting one and I would just be like 40 minutes late to everything. I would be drawing like, <laughs> like diagrammatic maps about like how to get out of the subway to like where I need to go and I had no idea that the city was so vast. And, and you were living in a world where you didn't know what time your arrival was going to be. Now we know exactly when we're right. going to arrive. Yeah. Like if I need to go to a gallery opening or something, mm-hmm. it's going to say you will arrive in 47 minutes. Right. I'm like, all right, now yeah. I can budget that. There was a time when we didn't know that. I know. <laughs> and we'd just be late to things. Yeah. Or you'd have to be really early all yeah. the time. Like I'm here. I made it. Right. Yeah. It would be hard to go to a flip phone. I got a watch as like a wristwatch as um, a slow way. Nice. You know, I won't have to look at my phone to look at the time. Right. Now. I had that, but then this happened. Oh, (laughs) yours is just a little phone on your wrist. I know, it's awful. You just have two phones now. It's great, but it's awful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Two phones, which are basically computers. So basically I have a computer strapped to my hip and one strapped to my wrist. Right. And pretty soon we'll just have them all like, you know, uploaded into our our brain. Yeah, yeah. It's only a matter of time. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, the watch is a nice touch. Yeah. You, you, there's so often like, oh, I just needed to see what time it was. Wait, I have 40 emails and five right. messages. And then you forget the time that you're looking for. And I have a kid now, so I can never be off the grid. That's true. Like I always have to be on lookout. What right. If, what if school calls or what if you need something? You know, right. like that ship has sailed. Right. When there was once a time where I could just go like turn things off and be away for like yeah. days if I wanted to. I get, yeah. I mean, parents did it, I guess before, like you would just have a home phone, right? Yeah. I mean, back, I mean, in my parents' day, yeah. it was like whatever, like they were just say, just be home 
at some point yeah. dinner time. <laughs> right. And then it was, you know, you're just rolling the dice. Yeah. Like, right, yeah, yeah. Stay away from vans with no windows. Right. Right. <laughs> but we would just go out, you know, but now there's no excuse. Like if you're a parent now and you don't have a phone, you just then you're, it's a conscious sure. choice. You're sure, saying, sure. well, you know what, whatever, I'm going to take the risk. <laughs> And everyone else is like, why is this person not contacting me? And you just come yeah. off as like a jerk, you right. know, selfish. Yeah. But back then it was, that's the thing. You can never really go back. Mm-hmm. You can try to wear that watch, but someone might call you. That's true. <laughs> when you're in the studio, do you turn everything off? Though? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. Um, except for like the music or whatever's playing for my phone, yeah. but everything else is on silent. And then I try to just take breaks. It's hard though. Like when you get distracted you know, to get yeah. back in, like I've students who, you know, they, they watch TV while they paint or the phone's always on right? or even in class and they're like getting texts or messages all the time. There's like never really an opportunity to fully embrace the zone. You know yeah. what I mean? When you're on like hour five or six or seven of like being in the studio and you can really start to get stuff done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But not if there's someone constantly being like, Hey, 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 you know, mm-hmm. all the time. It's a different thing. But yeah. I guess you just you acclimate to that and you become efficient at dealing with that stuff. Yeah, with interruptions. Yeah, it's just a different a different way. But I would imagine residencies are a great, great way around that. Yeah, my phone just stopped working. Like there was no tower that corresponded with my carrier, I guess. So I had oh, no yeah. data and nice. I could only get on with when I had Wi-Fi, which was only like in the studio. That's nice though. Where I turned my, I know, but yeah, it was, it was really hard at first. And then it was just nice. Like I read like five books and (laughs) just give up. You're like, all right, I guess I'm just going to bed early. Yeah. Go analog. It was nice. It was good. This is going to date me. But whenever I was at Skowhegan, Mm -hmm. there was, you know, there weren't, we didn't have cell phones Mm -hmm. and there was uh, one computer in the place that had internet, but we're talking like dial up. Yeah. Yeah. Slow internet. But I remember ordering like a Chet Baker CD that I really wanted to hear, <laughs> but waiting in line for like three people to order it. And then oh, it took yeah. like two weeks to get there. Right. You know what I mean? It's well, also what I find like when I'm in a place where my phone isn't, or it's really slow. It's like, you're almost, you have enough time to second guess this like impulsive cycling through. Right. Like, do I really need to wait for this video of like something to load? And yeah. when it actually takes a while and you have time to like, reflect back on yourself you're like no it's not that important it's not worth it yeah yeah that's the the virtue of of things taking more than one second right the immediate gratification right yeah it's like when i go around these days it's like do i need 18 coffees a day probably not but there's 18 coffee shops right around everywhere where i'm going doing whatever i'm doing yeah so my cops just have another one Mm -hmm. that's why the studio is a nice place to just try to empty all that stuff out yeah so what are you working on now? Um, so I am finishing up the pieces for the show coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you want to drop details on that for people? Yeah, it's in Slovakia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in July. And then there's going to be another... It's going to move to like another gallery in Slovakia in like the fall. Nice. Yeah. And I'm going to go. It's That's my first fun. time being in that part of Europe. Yeah, I've never been to Slovakia. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm working on sort of just like finishing up these three pieces. And then um, I think the next sort of what the next body of work is going to look like is a lot of 
sort of drawing on a lot of research of these prehistoric spaces. Nice. I'm really interested in them right now. Yeah. I can't stop thinking about them. It sounds like a, a good point of departure. Yeah. And thinking more about the intersection of sort of sci-fi and how maybe some spaces in cities can look like that as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Boy, there's so much cinema that I'm sure could be of influence too. I know. Right? Yeah. I had a great studio visit at the residency and the artist, uh, the visiting artist suggested like maybe I should try working in like non-object, like a non-object vocabulary, like film or something, like something digital or something that I can like work through ideas and that, that isn't uh, physical mm-hmm. and that could be helpful. Yeah. So also thinking of just like collaborative projects and what those could look like. That's a really exciting thing for me right now. Yeah, definitely. Have you seen the movie Silent Running? No. Check it out. Should I? Okay. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Okay. For different, for certain reasons. Yeah. But yeah. It's worth checking out. Okay. <laughs> so how can people find your work? Websites? Um, yeah. Social, you I do have, social media? Yeah. I have a website. I have an Instagram account. And it's say. just your name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's my name on there. Um, yeah. That'd be the. That'd be the main, the two lines to... For people remember. to keep up with what sure. you're up to. Sure, yeah, yeah. And does the uh, does the club have, like, any online... We presence? just got a website. I'm so excited nice. about it. It's um, it's ladypainters.org. Nice. Yeah, so it's sort of an... Uh, arc- ladypainters.com was taken? <laughs> yeah, it was. <sighs> and it was like... Oh, it's you- amazing that you found Lady Painters. It's amazing that anyone these days finds any I know. Place. I really wanted ladypainters.com, but it was like one of those things where someone had bought it and they were kind of just like sitting Sitting with it and it was many hundreds of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five trillion dollars. So. Yeah. Oh, well. Org is great. It's an organization. It's an organization. That's what we are. Yeah. 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 Calm sounds like commerce. You're, you want an organizational. Organization. Yeah. Suffix. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Yeah. So everyone go to. To that website, yeah, and check, and you can just. What's the? Sorry, I haven't seen the site. What's what do you keep? It's kind of just um, an archive of all of the gatherings we've had. So nice. we have like a one page of just like all of the events we've had and mm-hmm. photos of everyone and lists of everyone's name, and then we have sort of another main page of um, uh, just like a database of people who have come to previous gatherings. And do people or can or do people reach out to you guys to yeah, sort of like sure. initiate yeah, yeah. something to come? Yeah, that yeah. would be. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for thanks coming so much today. for having me. This was, was really nice. It was really nice meeting you. Yeah. Thank you. Likewise. Sound and Vision is recorded, produced, edited, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more about the podcast on soundandvisionpodcast.com and find more pictures that I take there from my visits in the studio. You can also see more images at Sound and Vision Podcast on Instagram. And you can find more about my work at paintchanger.com or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Many thanks to Michael Lovett for the intro and Lala Tone for the intro-outro music. Also, thank you to Golden Artist Colors for sponsoring the podcast. 
and many thanks to Kelsey and all the listeners. Please go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. It really helps get it out there to the people who want to hear it. Promote it to your friends and spread the word. Thanks a lot.